Physics World. Hello, and welcome to the Physics World Weekly Podcast. I'm Hamish Johnston. In this episode, I'm very pleased to be chatting with the winners of the Physics World 2021 Breakthrough of the Year Award. The award is supported by Bluefors, a leading supplier of cryogen-free dilution refrigerator measurement systems, with a strong focus on the quantum computing and information community. The company's aim is to deliver the most reliable and easy-to-operate systems on the market, which are of the highest possible quality. For more information, see bluefors.com. Every December since 2009, Physics World editors have sifted through the hundreds of research updates that we publish each year, looking for the year's most outstanding research in physics. We produce a short list of 10, which we announced last week, and then we vote on which of those will be our breakthrough of the year. In addition to having been reported in Physics World in 2021, the winner and the top 10 must meet the following criteria. It must be a significant advance in knowledge or understanding of physics. The work must be important for scientific progress and or the development of real-world applications. And finally, it must be of general interest to physics world readers. This year, the Physics World Breakthrough of the Year Award has been given to two independent teams for entangling two macroscopic vibrating drumheads, thereby advancing our understanding of the divide between the quantum and classical world. The winners are Mika Silanpa and colleagues at Finland's Aalto University and the University of New South Wales in Australia together with a team led by John Tufel and Shlomi Kotler of the U.S. National Institute of Standards and Technology, or NIST. I'm joined down the line by John, Mika, and Shlomi, who is now at the Hebrew University of Jerusalem. Also with us is Laure Mercier de Lepinay, who is part of the Alto New South Wales team. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the podcast, and congratulations for being our winners this year. <laughs> Hello. Thank you. Hi, Hamish. Hello, Hamish. Thanks. Hi, guys, and, and, and thanks for joining me. And I have to say that every year it's a pleasure to give this prize. This year we sorted through nearly 600 research papers that we covered in 2021 on Physics World. And then we argued it out between the five judges to come up with a winner. And, and there was some fantastic research done this year. And it's really been fascinating to look back on it all. It was also a real pleasure to award your teams the prize. Now, the research done by both of your groups involves the quantum entanglement of mechanical resonators. And these are vibrating drub heads that are about 10 microns across. So not the tiny photons or electrons that physicists usually entangle. So, Mika, what was the inspiration for your research? Why do physicists want to entangle large objects? Oh, first of all, thank you very much for this really prestigious award and the motivation it is to explore the mysteries of nature that's 
pretty much all of our all of our motivation. And then, well, on top of that, one can also foresee some little applications or even important applications in the emerging quantum technology. And this, um, the, as we all know, the quantum mechanics is in the usually in the world of electrons and atoms and maybe molecules. And but now that the, there has been a lot of thinking during the last tens tens of years, actually, that if the really massive objects would also perhaps obey the laws of quantum mechanics, and especially if there is some some kind of borderline like between big and small or small and big, um, so that in this two, that two big size, the object would not anymore follow the quantum mechanics. And this, uh, this is kind of what has been the driving force behind us, basically. And John, I think a few years ago, you, you were involved in some research where you cooled one of these resonators so that it was it was pretty well in its quantum ground state. What are the motivations behind your research? Uh, very similar to what Mika said, part of the push has been to just explore what are the power and the limits for what you can engineer in the lab? How can you take things from the atomic level to larger and larger and take things that we have everyday mechanical oscillators, uh, things that are really like the original pendula that kept time so long ago. Uh, and part of it was, can we prepare these exotic quantum states that people predicted 20 years ago? The, the most simple of one is just cool it down as cold as possible and show that a quantum object, even when you get it as cold as possible, is still vibrating. It still has zero point fluctuations. So that was kind of the first step into the, the quantum domain for some of these things. And it also demonstrated just our ability to even measure at these levels. If you went through the trouble to prepare these exotic states, how do you prove it? How do you see it? Do you, do you have the sensitivity to even make a meaningful statement? And so uh, that, like this work, has been very much a springboard of seeing what we can do, uh, demonstrating that and moving on to the next thing. Uh, and eventually, we'd like to check every kind of quantum state uh, off the list, take our nascent quantum technology and really push to what people are now doing with things like trapped ions or superconducting qubits. And John, can you describe these mechanical resonators? Are they really drumheads and, and how do you entangle them? So these are devices that we make in, in the clean room. Uh, we put down pieces of metal on little microchips and uh, we're excited both that they're macroscopic on the scale of atoms or things, but there's still something that you can you can make out with the naked eye if you try hard. And you asked if they really are drum heads. Uh, this small piece of metal, even though it's some inordinate number of atoms, some 10 to the 14 atoms, uh, we characterize it by a single degree of freedom. We describe it as a drum with a resonant frequency. It has some quality factor in some lifetime. Uh, and it has a motion. It's going up and down in ways that we can see. And so in that sense, it, it really is like any other mechanical oscillator. You would have things that are in your cell phone. Uh, and this type of technology, again, what we're looking for is to try to push both for the quantum preparation and measurement. Um, to answer the second half of your question about uh, how we actually go about entangling them, uh, I'll just briefly say, uh, in both of our work, what we use is we create microwave circuits and we use microwave photons or electrical signals as our delicate intermediary to 
interact between our hot classical world and these uh, very fragile and sensitive vibrations of these drums that we're trying to create and measure. And and Shlomi, um, I mean, John makes it sound easy, but I'm guessing that uh, there were some real experimental difficulties in, um, I suppose, making these drums, characterizing them, and, and, and actually convincing yourself that they're entangled. What were some of these challenges, and how did you go about overcoming them? Yeah, so that's a good point, that entanglement is not enough. You have to be able to see it. We wanted to make a single device that on the one hand you can have that can furnish that you can furnish with two drums uh, and then you uh, want to be able to entangle those two drums and then you want to be able to see it basically almost with with your naked eye so to speak uh, uh, with a single device now those three things turn out to be at odds with each other meaning that they're the constraints that each piece defines is not necessarily compatible with the other piece of your experiment. So to have a single experiment uh, accommodate all those things was, was hard to make. And so you do what you usually do. You optimize over making drums and then you say, how would I entangle it well? And then if I entangle it well, how would, how would I be able to see it? And I think coming up with a, uh, both a prototype and, and a fi the final chip that actually can do all of them, that was the main challenge. And, and Laura, what, what about the experiment that was done um, in Finland? Can you describe it? We have prepared a specific type of entanglement, which is uh, called the Gaussian continuous variable entanglement. And it is a little bit different from the usual picture that people have of entanglement, where two objects with generally only two states are are entangled and where measuring the state of one object completely determines the state of the other object. In a Gaussian continuous variable entanglement uh, between mechanical oscillators in our case, uh, measuring one oscillator doesn't fully determine the position of the other oscillator. And uh, entanglement in this case means that uh, after measuring one of the oscillator's positions, the, the other's position is known better than a certain uh, uncertainty that is, that is uh, called quantum fluctuations. Prove that after the measurement of uh, one oscillator, the, the, uh, flu the fluctuations on the positions of the other is, uh, are, very, are very small. We prepare that state where, which has very small fluctuations on one uh, mechanical degree of freedom. Uh, indeed, we also used in, uh, I guess, in both of our experiments, electromagnetic fields to uh, manipulate and then measure the position of oscillators and, and uh, prepare them in these states which have a very stable degree, degree of freedom of the mechanical motion. So to prepare them and then measure and prove that this degree of freedom was indeed very stable, had indeed very small fluctuations. And in this sense, since these experiments are all about stabilizing one degree of freedom, they are all stemming from the initial idea uh, that you mentioned before uh, uh, concerning one single oscillator that would be uh, stabilized, as, as John proved a while ago, uh, into its quantum ground state except it's more complicated because we have two oscillators, a little bit more complicated problems. And for example, in our experiment, it resulted in us using uh, 
up to 10 microwave signals at the same time on a single uh, lit little device. And this means that we have to have uh, extremely stable, uh, extremely well-synchronized microwave signals. And that was one of the uh, challenges of these experiments. Uh, and so, Mika, how, how did your team overcome these challenges? I would say that, especially in our case, as well as very often in this type of experimental research, the challenge, it was not so much the experimental setup, the world that is challenging as well, but it is the cooking recipes in our kitchen, which is called the clean room in our case. And we need to have good devices. That's like everything. And that's, that took a lot of floor time to develop these recipes, but eventually it worked. But once you have a good device, then it sort of started to run after that. And Mika, what's next for your research group? Uh, you, you mentioned uh, the need to have good devices. I, I'm guessing that you're going to be building even better devices in the future. We have a fully new line of research which uses these a bit similar concepts, but in quite different physical setting. And, uh, and that continues uh, to this basic research exploration that to the next level, which is uh, studying gravity in these quantum systems. And this, uh, nowadays this interface between quantum mechanics and the classical world that starts to be gradually sort of sorted out. But then the next level is to try to combine the uh, gravity or Einstein similar relativity with the quantum mechanics. And that is really uh, one of the biggest mysteries in physical sciences. And we will try to uh, use the eventually this entangled oscillators and at the same time observe the gravitational forces between them. So this, this would, I don't expect this would immediately solve the mystery of quantum gravity, but it would be one of the nice steps to that direction. Laura, I understand that you're starting your own group at Alto University. Will you continue with your interest uh, in these um, quantum mechanical resonators? Well, I'll be, I have some projects that will still be using uh, these uh, aluminum drum resonators. I'm also very interested in force measurement with these resonators uh, because I think force measurement allows to uh, investigate some very fundamental problems in, in physics, um, some new physics, in fact. And uh, for me, a big interest of, of, uh, of this type of research that we are talking about now is, is that it allows to, um, to, to develop new techniques of, of measurement, of, of in particular position measurement, which allow eventually to do force measurement, uh, and which allow to do force measurement with really great sensitivities, which are required to study new physics that would be hidden in the, in the things we haven't yet measured, so, so very small forces. And so my projects are more oriented towards forced measurements as well. And, and the, one of the first projects I would like to carry out with this, uh, the same platforms, these little drums, is uh, measurement of Casimir forces. Shlomi, you've already made a move um, to the Hebrew University of Jerusalem. Well, what are your current research interests there? So I'm actually fully invested in those drums. Uh, when John and I we're thinking about this project, you know, in front of a whiteboard, thinking what should be next, what what should we do? We saw that most of what we did was single drum experiments. And then we said, what would be the first 
two drum experiment that would really you move you forwards? And the answer was clear. It had to be entanglement. And it had to be an entanglement experiment that's a, a building block for future experiments. And I think we completed that circle. I think now we have that building block. I'd like to, well, literally build on it. And so I would like to take it to the next level where I'm, I use entanglement to perform and to demonstrate more elaborate quantum protocols uh, and use it in a processor that has maybe, maybe multiple drums where, where you run gates uh, of both initialization and entanglement. And the second avenue that I think I'd like to, to explore based on entanglement of drums is technology. What kind of technology can you uh, build if you can entangle and initialize objects that on the one hand have a memory time that's spectacular, you know, millisecond regime and, and more than that. And on the other hand, they can interface microwave and microwave turn out to be very useful in, in the classical world. So maybe those are my objects that will bridge that gap technologically. Oh, that sounds interesting. And John, what about you at NIST? Um, what are your plans? What are you going to do when you're back uh, after the Christmas holidays? I mean, I think like we've heard from everyone, uh, we're all very excited about the results we had in this past year. Uh, these are things we work very hard for, but none of us thinks of this as the end. I mean, this is the beginning. This is a stepping stone. Uh, entanglement itself is a very precious resource in quantum information processing. It's the key ingredient in quantum communication, and it's the thing that allows exotic protocols like teleportation. Uh, for us, as I said in the beginning, part of what we're doing is trying to see if we have the, the power and the control to initialize even more exotic quantum states. That's kind of on the fundamental science perspective. Also at the National Institutes of Standards and Technology, uh, the, the quantum measurement and the the technology is really also a key interfacing this with other quantum devices, superconducting qubits, atomic systems, other quantum dot systems. These are the types of things that are part of why people are excited about these uh, nanofabricated drums in the first place and, and part of where there's always a higher and higher bar. Now that we're able to do the entanglement and measure it, maybe we can entangle between disparate quantum systems, between our drum technology and others see if we can really build out and do things that are useful. As Laura said, I mean, at its heart, we're able to do measurements in, in absolute numbers that are kind of unbelievable. We're measuring displacements below the nuclear distance at the 10 to the minus 16 level, uh, less than a femtometer, measuring forces at the atto Newton per root hertz, the kind of 10 to the minus 18 level. These are the things that are interesting sensor applications. Uh, as we push the limits on that, it opens up the door for even more technology and, and future measurements. And, and can, can I put a question out to all of you? Um, I, I, I suppose this is a, a sort of typical question that a journalist would ask. Practical applications. I mean, if, if you were to bet, I don't know, well, probably decades down the road or maybe not, you know, where might we see um, these entangled resonators or res resonators themselves um, in, you know, sort of products that we buy or perhaps that we rely on? One of the ways in which mechanical systems are used in, in classical everyday world 
is in timekeeping and in filtering and in storage. I mean, just in your iPhone alone, it's used as delay lines and narrow filters. And these are the same type of things that people need for quantum technology. Uh, that's where I imagine there can be a niche uh, that when people are building their quantum computers, which they're very much in the process of doing, I imagine the drums are not going to be the solution that uh, solves all the problems. But I can imagine for some of these things like memory, like storage, like transduction, uh, the drums might be the, the ideal uh, hammer to hit that nail. One sort of application that, that I've been curious about is using these resonators as, as components in, in, in a quantum information network. How, how, would that, how would that work? So basically, uh, if you had an array of those drums, essentially, well, there's two directions you can go. One is you bridge the gap between, say, microwave and optics, and then you have an optical link, and that can go far. So that's the main advantage. And the other direction is you stay within one, one chip, one package, and you make multiple, an array or multiple drums. And now you start to create interesting states that are not uh, uh, confined to just two drums, but maybe they involve three or four or maybe 10 drums. And you can imagine your, yourself really doing processing with those mechanical drums. Now, those things are not, you know, I'm not trying to say that this is a computer. It's a different kind. Like Laura said, this is a Gaussian state evolution, but a, a highly correlated Gaussian state that you can imagine being spread over multiple mechanical elements. And that would be an exciting thing to see and, and to, to make, you know, make that happen. And are there any other um, applications that... Um that you're looking at or, or, or that any of you think are interesting that we haven't touched on? To me, you know, what the reason, at least for myself, that I'm hesitant is because it's hard to predict at this point. But I can tell you there are two things that researchers like ourselves can contribute. One is ideas. So maybe we demonstrate an idea here and someone sees that idea on this platform for the first time and then they can go and 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 use it at a different platform that is more uh, relevant for some sort of a technological problem and the second thing is these drums you know as i as i mentioned earlier they're very good memories they're very small you know the diameter of a hair and they can retain quantum information for a very long time. Yet within, you know, you can push a button and that information is available to you in cellular technology. So that seems to me, seems to me like a powerful combination. Uh, but to, to, you know, you know uh, pinpoint where would that be used, I'm guessing it will have to be relevant to microwave and microwave engineering of sorts or cellular engineering. And it has to be to the fact that you need a long-term quantum memory. It's hard, that's easy to, to produce. It's hard to break. Um, and it's just mechanical, just sitting there undisturbed. I might, uh, want to add that even discovery in, in fundamental research is not really expected to lead to some given application, for example. Quantum computers have been built for a long time, 
starting from uh, step by step. And this, I would see this as a similar one step at the line, which will then eventually lead to new lab breakthroughs, and then those will eventually lead to real-world applications. Well, that's, that's really interesting. Th thanks to all of you um, for, for being on the Physics World Weekly Podcast. Uh, congratulations again on being our Breakthrough of the Year winners. And um, uh, here at Physics World, we wish you all the best um, with your future research into these fascinating um, mechanical resonators and their quantum properties. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. I'm afraid that's all the time we have for this week's podcast, which is sponsored by Blue Forest. Thanks to Laure Mercier de Lepine, Shlomi Kotler, John Tufel, and Mika Salanpa for joining me today. And a special thanks to our producer, Fred Isles. This is the last weekly podcast of 2021. We'll be back again next year, but until then, do check out the next episode of the Physics World Stories podcast which will be available on the 22nd of December. This looks at some of the best physics-related books of 2021, and it has a quiz about Stephen Hawking that is inspired by the book Hawking Hawking by Charles Seif. We wish you a happy new year from all of us at Physics World. Physics World.